0: There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person.
1: Let's begin in prayer together. In the name of the Father, Amen. and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the gibber of life. Come and dwell within a, within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Marcus, John Mark, welcome.
2: Thank you. It's wonderful to be with you.
1: Oh, it's, it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's a greater blessing for us. So, you know, I was just laughing as the days leading up here, I says normally... You got all these people coming on your program, as I was just, uh, just a just a few days ago, and now the the tables have turned. So,
2: right, so. I and I agree. I'm much more comfortable on the other side of the table, uh, yeah. as an interviewer, than the interviewee. <laughs> but I, I thanks for the invitation, Father. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate your kind words too. I far from deserved. Uh, I think the the older I've gotten the more I recognize how little I know uh, in terms of the wonderful wealth we have in our faith. Uh, and with your work in culture, it's really important. You were talking a little bit ago about the work of the devil, and I've often thought that the devil has three major strategies. Whenever the Lord tries to do something through us, through one of his uh, called servants, the devil either tries to stop it immediately and do everything he can to stop it, And if that doesn't work, then he uses all kinds of means to belittle it, to undermine it, to use sarcasm, ridicule to do that. And if he and that doesn't stop it, then he floods the market. (laughs) And you can see that with, uh, there isn't just one Bible, there's thousands of Bibles. There isn't just one way of understanding the Scripture, there's a thousand. Instead of one church, there's a thousand churches. And that gets at what you're all about in your institute, I mean, in terms of culture, You know, there isn't a a real solid, trustworthy culture that allows Catholics and all Christians um, to have their faith strengthened. It's been watered down, and there's a thousand different ideas out there. And it leads to confusion for so many people. Uh, And just, just the idea of Christmas that you asked me to talk about. I mean, just think about how many different ways that people celebrate Christmas around the world. And, and the different ways they interpret it, and and what it means to them. Now, Father, do you want me to to launch into this, yeah. or did you have so, a, a thought?
1: Or Mark, there's there's a couple ways we can approach this tonight? But you know, to be honest with you, we're all here to really, like I said, almost sit at your feet. We wanna we wanna hear your. We always hear everyone else's story, but we wanna hear your story. And uh, and then you know maybe we can bring in weave in how that affected your perception of and celebration of Christmas. And I know in our conversations beforehand, I think you got a really a, a, a challenging message and a powerful message for us today. So I'm just going to hand this over to you right. and feel free to open your heart. And like I said, we're just kind of here at our sitting around the fireplace tonight before Christmas and uh, want to be able to enjoy being in your presence and just being together.
2: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. As I, Mentioned to you, Father, and, and those of you who joined us, it's, I can see some of you. It's pretty cool. I've never done a webinar before. Um, as I mentioned to Father, you know, the, when I first thought of the idea of, of addressing this topic, I, I almost backed out, right, Father? I mean, That's I'm okay. not an academic. I'm not a scholar. But the truth is, the more I reflected on the issue, especially our whole work, John, Mark and the staff and I, and our, we're all about stories and helping helping people discern what God's calling them to do in their lives and where God's calling them in their walk with Jesus Christ. And as I thought about this topic, what actually happened was, in my mind, I found the journey of my family and I with Christmas, I I almost have too much to say in this time. And some of it's very personal that I can't talk about. Some of it's very emotional. And in some ways, as I've been a host of helping people tell their stories over the years, I sometimes laugh a bit because it's as if God has put me in a great variety of flavors of Christianity that help me understand my guests. And that's true of Christmas. You know, we, today in our culture, we have a high percentage of what we call nuns. And uh, for some of us, we never dreamed there were so many in our culture that had moved away from faith, actually had grown up their entire lives without uh, being introduced to our Lord Jesus and to the church and to the faith. But it struck me as I thought about the first six years of my life, I was a nun. Uh, I won't go into all the details of why, but my father came from a broken family. Um, my mother also, to some extent. And so we had no church. I don't remember as a child ever going to church. My mother was religious. My dad had been a CB in World War II. I mean, he was just not about God. And so I look back on those years and tried to re- reflect, Father, as I, I'm in a A very generic American Christmas of the 50s, not unlike that good old Christmas story so many of us have seen. I mean, really, when I watch that story, I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, I wanted a gun just like that kid did. You know, and uh, trees and presents and visiting Santa at Macy's, uh, big Christmas family feasts, maybe watching the good old Christmas Carol movie in black and white and a little TV about this big. Um, But I don't remember... Why? This is what we did in our American culture. It was what we did that time of year. Um, If you remember the Christmas story that was filmed in Cleveland, there was nothing religious about it at all. That was my upbringing. Um, I was encouraged to believe in Santa Claus. I definitely remember peeking out the window looking for him to land on the roof or come down our fireplace. I got up early to see what he had brought, if anything, because my, my non-religious dad, on the other hand, always reinforced the naughty or nice mantra. So, you know, that was the background of my upbringing. I do remember, though, I do not remember any religious elements, but there may have been there. We had no prayer in our family. Um, no scripture reading. I remember one one Christmas, my dad, before dinner, said, God bless us everyone, and moved on, you know, quoting Tiny Tim. That was the extent of anything. But somehow, I do remember having a Jesus nightlight in my bedroom. I have no idea where that came from. My mother, probably. I just remember the face of Jesus lit up above my bed when I was growing up. Um, I don't know if I gave you this photo, uh, Andy, but I do have a photo I happened to find looking through a pile of stuff, and it was uh, one of the earliest Christmases, and I'm in front of a tree, but this was the Christmas just before we started going to the Lutheran church. And I looked through that scene to see if there's anything religious, and there it was at the top of the tree, Um, there to the left, and there was an angel. I mean, there was the one religious thing as a child was this angel at the top of the tree. I mean, that's Christianity for so many. That's Christmas for so many in our culture. Now, think about it. We do these things. We have a tree. We give presents. We have a feast. We think about a Santa Claus. But did we know any of the reasons why we did any of this stuff, other than that's what we do. And so when I was seven, we had started going to Lutheran Church, and that's when I was baptized. And I don't remember being changed. I still snuck out at Sunday school to get licorice at the local gas station, rather than sit through church on Sunday morning. My parents didn't know it because they were in the front row and I was sneaking out the back, but. I joined the Lutheran Church, and what I remember is that in Lutheranism, the experience of, Catholic, of Christmas is almost identical to the Catholic experience. We received the monthly Lord's Supper, kneeling at the altar rail. There was an outdoor nativity scene. We had an Advent wreath, Christmas Eve services, traditional, all the traditional carols, even recognized that Santa was originally this guy named St. Nick angels, scripture, prayer. All of a sudden, our whole family was introduced into, we didn't realize it, but a very Catholic experience of Christmas. My dad was going just because he was trying to be a good dad. He wasn't showing any interest in any of this stuff. Nothing much changed at home, but our experience on Sundays, Christmas Eve, even uh, I'd guess maybe some of the things that were showing up in pictures around the house was much more Christian and Catholic. Another important thing for me was as I grew up, I became very musical. I thought I was going to be a music major all my life. Pretty soon I'm singing in choirs and playing all the brass instruments of brass choirs at Christmas. But admittedly, everything about Christmas was external rituals with no internal meaning or conversion on my part. Uh, This is what everybody did at Christmas. We went to now a more Lutheran, Christian environment. This is what we did at Christmas. This is what Christians do at Christmas. This is what everyone did, and it never crossed my mind when I was young to ask why. Um, When I went to college in the 70s, any of you remember the 70s? (laughs) Um, I abandoned the faith completely. I quit going to church as soon as I left home. I went to an engineering school. I got caught up in scientific materialism. Um, I thought I could explain everything with chemistry and biology and physics. Uh, Even debated some Christians on campus. Um, I especially belittled our mindless celebration of Christian rituals. Since I didn't know what they meant, I therefore assumed they were meaningless, and so I belittled them. And none of my fraternity brothers could explain very well what they meant either, so we just had a few beers and made fun of everything. Um, I know none of you did this, but I'd come home at Christmas and Easter and put on a good show for my parents, so they didn't know that I had abandoned everything when I went away to college. Even when I came home at Christmas Eve, I would get the guitar out and I'd sing at Christmas Eve and look like I was this great Christian. Uh, did the gift exchanges, etc, but in the same way that I had set aside any belief in santa, I mean that 's stupid, I thought I set aside everything else, and uh, to a certain extent i didn 't miss much, much of it. It was what we did, but it didn 't mean anything to me and then, at age twenty one, the summer between my junior and senior year in college, I had a life changing born again experience at a charismatic congregational church, primarily through reading scripture and the witness of a friend and a great preacher, but it changed my life to this day. And in some ways, by grace, I've never looked back. It was the biggest change of my life. All of a sudden, by grace, everything was different. It was as if I had a camera lens and and a, a shade was pulled away and now I had the grace to see that there was a Creator a Creator who loved us, who gave us His Son. And my heart was changed, full acceptance and surrender to Christ. A a serious, devout reader of Scripture, I don't think I've missed a day since then of not reading and praying through Scripture, Um, acceptance of Jesus as Lord. But doing His will from then on became my primary goal in life. And three things happened then in relationship to Christmas, because I will say that, was, that happened in July of uh, 73, and the Christmas was the most glorious Christmas in some ways I've ever experienced. Small little rural congregational church, only s- could seat about 150 people, standing room only, people crowding out through, out into the hallways, hundreds of candles. It was glorious. All of us seeing the Hallelujah Chorus, I mean, I remember the love for Jesus Christ, and I felt at that first Christmas, I'm home. This is Jesus, my new life, and it was life-changing. Three things in relationship to Christmas, and again, I wonder if any of you had this experience. The first was that recognition of what the true story of Christmas was. The scriptural nativity, the understanding of, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The meaning of that in Christmas, God's great love for us and his son, the shepherds, the angels, the three kings, all of that I took very seriously. And uh, that became for me the essential aspect of Christmas and sharing that with other people. Secondly, though, what arose was a, a gradual growing of rejection of the materialistic side of Christmas. You know, the, the shield, the, all the stuff, the spending of money, the giving of things in a phony way, as if giving my son something proved my love to him. Uh, I became very cynical about all that materialism. Part of it was because uh, of recognizing the teachings of our Lord about the rich young ruler go and sell and give it away and follow me And all those calls to set aside uh, don't take your hand away from the plow, look to him, trust in him, seek ye first the kingdom. all those made Christmas this is what's important not all that stuff, not that mistletoe, not not the tree, not the, the wrappings and uh, you know I went through this radical, challenging the materialism of Christmas. That'd been really what all my childhood was about. But the third thing that was maybe the biggest was a complete rejection of anything liturgical, all the rites and rituals. I blamed them for my not finding Jesus earlier. I went back to the Lutheran church and I remember at first I was kind of weeping because I knew the Lutheran mass word for word, create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I could still sing the the tunes from my childhood. And on the one hand, it meant something for the first time to me. But as I was sitting in church, I looked down the aisle, and there were two kids spitting, uh, shooting spitballs at each other while they were reciting the ritual. And it, it told me... There, Dead ritual. God doesn't want to hear the same thing every Sunday. And so I, uh, I saw rites and rituals as an external barrier to any authentic internal conversion. I blamed my Lutheran high, uh, high church upbringing on why I had never been encouraged to accept Jesus as my Savior. My focus was on the full acceptance of the biblical nativity story was the one important thing, and look cynically at all traditional incrustations. This became my mantra, understanding Christmas, and this became my understanding for many years, all through seminary and into my pastoral ministry, which, as you can understand, I was originally ordained a Congregationalist, which meant I rejected all organizations, traditions, rituals, rites. It was all very individually. Um, During this time, And especially in the mid-70s, I was a young engineer before I went to seminary. I was a local youth leader for a group called Young Life and a Christian singer and songwriter. And I even wrote a song about Christmas that it might be good to hear right now, not because it's such a great song, but because it expresses, uh, but this song expresses where my heart was at that time in my understanding of Christmas.
3: Christmas comes and the snow begins to fall. I stop and thank the one who made it all. Endless fields of white reflects the time of the year. Tinsel trees and mistletoe We give from hearts as cold as snow All our thoughts on what we've bought Forgetting who put us here But maybe this time Through the rushing Forgotten greetings thought of Maybe this Christmas We can give from hearts Full of God's love Forgotten friends and neglected kids Receiving cards with poems in Greetings sent with money spent To tell them we still care And now we sit around the tree Exchanging gifts, yes, that's from me We say how nice But in our eyes The meaning's just not there But maybe this time Through the rushing And forgotten greetings thought of Maybe this Christmas we can give from hearts full of God's love And then when Christmas time has passed And our memories are all that remain Will our lives seem different somehow Or just the same But maybe this time Through the rushing And forgotten greetings Thought of Maybe this Christmas We can give from hearts Full of God's love Maybe this time, maybe this time, maybe this Christmas, we will give from hearts full of God's love.
2: Oh, um, uh, oh, thank you. Uh, now, now, Marcus, you wrote that you were
1: 22 years old? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And was that you singing? Yeah, that was
2: that was me singing. Oh, my gosh. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, there's a long story behind that, but maybe the thing to say is that when I first wrote that, I'm not sure my parents knew how to take that. <laughs> um, you know, in other words, they were smiling, but there was, you know what's missing in our lives? Or what's my son think about us? You know, and, and um, I didn't mean them to take it that way, but I was really expressing in some ways a real struggle I was having with this whole thing that we did at this time of year. Did it make a difference? Uh, And I, maybe he was talking more about me than anybody else. And not long after that, I went to seminary and I became a pastor. And my focus became for a long time calling people to an authentic conversion behind all the external trappings of Christmas and Easter. uh, I felt the externals were irrelevant without an internal conversion. And I'm sure with hindsight that I had become reinforced in this through the writings of the Protestant Reformers. I mean, Luther's emphasis on faith alone involved a rejection of many of the externals. Rather than Luther calling the the people to recognize the authentic meaning of the rituals, he just threw them out. And Calvin was even more radical, which is what my tradition had become when I went through seminary. I became a Presbyterian pastor eventually. I didn't necessarily reject all the externals. I still had nativity scenes because it depicted the true story. Nativity scenes were important. And I allowed trees and Santa and carols and presents of a really new... I accepted little of the historic reason for them, and there was a reason for that, because whenever I researched them to find out for myself as a pastor how to teach people the real meaning of the stuff we did at Christmas, there was a problem. I always found that behind them, there was some kind of Catholic roots, and as soon as I encountered that, it stopped. Well, that's why those things are bad, because they come from the Catholics. And of course, the Catholics got them from the pagans, so it's all junk. It's all a bunch of junk. I didn't say that from the pulpit, but that was a part of my understanding of the Catholic Church. Which is why we became avid proponents of the, quote, keep Christ in Christmas signs in our yards. Right? Keep Christ in Christmas. The irony of this is I was ignorant of history. Because the original American Protestants, the separatists, pilgrims, and Puritans, did not celebrate any of the holidays because this was a remnant of Catholicism. And also because they felt every day was holy. Holidays were creations of men or remnants of Judaism or even adoption of pagan rituals. Holidays in England also had the reputation of being raucous, immoral activities, kind of like something that happens at. New Orleans every year, right? In many ways, Christmas was a political hot potato between the English Anglican government authority and the separatist independent New Englanders. There was always this battle in New England between the English powers wanting to impose Christmas on the pilgrim separatists and the Puritans resisting it. And so there'd be battles in little towns over this issue between the Anglican churches and the non-Anglican churches. It wasn't until after the American Revolution that any state in America allowed the celebration of Christmas. Alabama was the first in 1836, and then in 1865, President Grant made it a federal holiday. All the winter scenes of Courier and Ives that we associate with traditional New England Christmas had nothing to do with Christmas. They were winter scenes because it, because especially in New England, it took a long time for Christmas to be accepted, at least as, as my research has shown. Um, and today there are still Protestant groups that refuse to celebrate Christmas or any religious holiday. Now, in 1986, Marilyn and I were married, uh, and we brought together two streams of Christmas traditions. By then I was a Presbyterian pastor, But with little Presbyterian experience, Marilyn came into our marriage with the Methodist Presbyterian experiences, but in many ways, they were like my own tradition, just a generic American Evangelical Protestant Christmas. We did many things that had Catholic roots. We had uh, Nativity plays, but with little understanding or even caring about their Catholic roots, and this isn't true of all Protestants, of course. But in our experience, it's amazing. I look back how dead our understanding was of the of the background. Uh, John Mark was born in seventeen no nineteen eighty seven, but for his first five years, he was brought up in this exuberant, generic, evangelical Christmas environment. In fact, on his very first Christmas, he played the baby Jesus in the, uh, the church were, play Where was that out? That was at Hanover, Ohio. Hanover, okay. Hanover, Ohio, where I was a solo pastor, Presbyterian pastor. After several years of study, I'd been a pastor 10 years, after several years of study and soul-searching, I resigned from my pastorate, and Marilyn and I entered the Catholic Church in December 1992. Now, that's a whole other story. Maybe the biggest thing to put there in Newman's statement on to become deep in history is a cease to be Protestant. That had the biggest influence on opening my eyes to the Catholic Church. One week after we entered the church, we had our first Catholic Christmas in Steubenville, Ohio. Conversion for me involved a rejection of Scripture alone and the acceptance of sacred tradition as valid and beneficial. And we discovered then the history and the meanings of the externals, the devotions, the sacraments, the sacramentals, the rituals, the rite. And slowly what happened is these things that we had always done, not only did we come to understand why we did these things, but the great value of them, not merely as symbols, but as carriers of grace at different levels, sacraments, sacramentals, everything, as St. Therese of Lisieux talks about, anything can be a channel of grace if done prayerfully. And so all these things of Christmas had great value as carriers of grace, and we didn't realize that. We, we, we weren't looking for it. Um, we learned the meanings and the reasons behind. The tree. Why the tree? Well, one tradition says that it started in the 8th century when St. Boniface, who was trying to reach those Germans in that big oak tree used a triangular balsam tree to, to convert the Druids to the Trinitarian faith. So we see in our missionary work that we did use pagan things, but there was a reason is that we built on nature. We used things that were familiar with the people. We didn't use everything, of course, but we used some things that then we could help bring meaning to. And if any non Catholic Christians, want to belittle that amongst Catholics, just remember all those contemporary Christian songs that use contemporary music, like I just did in that Christmas song, to convey the gospel to a culture that's used to that kind of music. Well, we do it all the time. We don't want to baptize everything, but we look at some things that can be used. The nativity scene, where'd that come from? Well, 13th century, St. Francis. I had no idea that came from uh, St. Francis. Advent, Well, we had Advent, but we didn't understand that it led up to Christmas, and Christmas begins on Christmas Day. Then you have these 12 days of Christmas. All of a sudden, whoa, where'd this stuff come from? Uh, Even that song started to make meanings to us, and we learned the background. Epiphany, angels, uh, even the valid reasons behind the acceptance of pagan origins, all these things began to make sense. And so, like a big puzzle all these things started fitting together for us as a family. But I'm going to close here, and then i want to ask John Mark to jump in. Because I have to admit, this is where it became difficult, and this is why there's so much more I could talk about, that our journey to Christmas in terms of a family practice was a mixed bag. In many ways, our home became more and more Catholic, but conversion came in staggering stages as Marilyn and I weaned ourselves from lifelong assumptions and practices, and sometimes reluctantly ad- we adopted Catholic practices that often retained uncomfortable elements. You know, I I, I learned to say of the rosary, and I began began adopting it into my life, but it took a long time before I was really comfortable with it. I'm still not very devoted to the infant of Prague. I mean, some things are just different. And I, I as a father, I was not very good at bringing my son up with great devotion to the infant of Prague. When you're a convert, you bring baggage with you. When you're married, you have two people bringing two sets of baggage with them that have a hard enough trying trying to fit together. But when you're taking those traditions, and then you're opening it to the world of Catholicism, it can make it difficult. The second biggest problem was that no one else in our extended families, other than my mother, entered the Catholic Church. Nobody in our extended families watches the Journey Home program. They don't have a clue. They don't, they're not interested. They don't want to watch. They don't want to hear about it. And so Christmases actually became a more difficult time for us as a family than they were before. Uh, There were things we just didn't talk about. The meaning of Christmas all of a sudden wasn't a part of discussion. The third thing it was is that in the 90s especially, we encountered a troubling variety of Catholic expressions of Christmas. Depending on where we went, one week we'd have a high church chants and devotions with a very strict control on the variations in the Mass. The next Sunday would be a guitar Mass with girls going down and up into the aisles with big banners and dancing and, you know, what's going on? What is authentic Catholicism? And Father, I mean, that's the culture that you're trying to help establish.
1: Marcus, I, this is, this, what you're talking about right now, I think, is, is the, the, your, whole, your whole story you've told us, the journey is so powerful. But, you know, you mentioned baggage, carrying this baggage. And immediately I started thinking, you know, as Catholics, we're carrying, in a sense, the right baggage. But, you know, how few people have actually unpacked the bag. And you know, and I think that's what you're getting at with this thing is is that there's a there was a lack of understanding. Even you came home, but geez, they didn't even the people you were around maybe didn't even know they were home.
2: When we were entering the Catholic Church, this is absolutely true. I had to ask ten Catholics before I could get an answer as to what this meant. Wow, why why are we doing that? I mean, you're just doing it. Well. We need to know, or those things lose their meaning, and that's why I just read in something today where 90% of Catholic college students lose their faith and move on. I think think Curtis Martin made that comment. But I wanted to give John Mark a chance, because I have to say that with all this, and, and I hope I didn't bore anybody, with all this, one of the biggest concerns is how do you pass this on to your children? I mean, it's one thing for us to try and get it, but I had kids, and so did they get it? And we weren't doing a very good job ourselves, but did they get it? And so John Mark is married. He's got four little childrens and uh, four beautiful grandkids for me and Maryland. But I want you to talk about how he carried it on.
4: Well, the, you know, your your story, Dad, is a good leaving off point for me because... And I, I didn't get to do a good job beforehand of positioning our little banner back here, but mm-hmm. I, I, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Coming Home Network, uh, we are a network of uh, mostly uh, Protestants who be, embraced full communion with the Catholic Church, and the, the network was founded as a, a support uh, for uh, Protestant clergy, as well as other people who are on the journey to the Church. And so um, I've spent my life hearing stories, you know, starting with my, my fathers and then with all the people that he's interviewed and people we've worked with over the years. Um, and so, you know, my life is a lot comes a lot from hearing those stories uh, and being inspired by those stories. You know, if I think back to our family's experience of Christmas, it was a very positive one um, when people asked me whether I, I entered the church like, like my father did. We came in when I, when I was about five. Uh, and so I got all kind of the fruit of conversion without any of really, any of the baggage myself. And that's really interesting for me nowadays to hear more of the backstory of the conversion, more of the baggage that dad has had more of the, what he's wrestled through, even as a Catholic. Cause for me, my experience has been, you know, from the beginning, uh, the fruit of that is, you know, the, the, the church is kind of thrown open to me. Uh, and my experience of Christmas has been such a positive one. Father, are you familiar with the, the essay from CS Lewis? Uh, I, I think it's called some thoughts on a bicycle or something like that.
1: No, but it sounds like the kind of program the Institute does. So we got to look into that one, Annie. You
4: probably have a talk on it someplace. Yeah. It's this little dialogue between Lewis and a friend, I think. But he's talking about, he's sort of postulating that there's these four stages that people go through in life in relation to different things. And he calls them unenchantment, enchantment, disenchantment, and re-enchantment these kind of four stages of maturity and there's, there's the unenchantment when you're not aware of something and then there's becoming enchanted in, in, in the case of that conversation they're talking about the bicycle, the idea of a bicycle, you know, being a young kid with a bicycle and the whole idea of it and the whole experience, you know, the sights and the sounds and the feel of being able to finally ride a bicycle. And then there's the disenchantment when that just kind of seems silly and you get passed on that. And, but then there's a reenchantment of really in a mature way, in an adult way, really seeing, that original thing that you maybe had sort of a honeymoon experience with, you know, you, you got really excited about, but it was an immature appreciation of, and then eventually there's a a mature appreciation of, and I was thinking of Lewis's essay and his, his four kind of maturity levels there, because I think one of the things that children of converts and we're all called to be converts, you know, especially, you know, we parents, we, we, we spouses, uh, for our, for our spouses and for our children, we're called to pioneer and pave the way in our, in our Christian faith as an example for them. So we're all called to be converts. But I think, you know, we, we see this particularly in the case of people who really embrace the faith that the children of converts, I think they're able to kind of get a, a leap ahead in that maturity a little bit in the sense of, I didn't have a long disenchantment with my Catholic faith. You know, I didn't really have to crash and burn before I came back to realize it because I experienced so much of the enchantment of the Catholic faith through his story mm-hmm. and through the story of people that we encountered. And so, you know, I, I still had my adult conversion. I still had my questions, but in many ways, I was—I didn't have the baggage precisely because of the trail that you bla- blaze. So all that said, you know, in terms of, of Christmas... Um so my my wife and I met in in college. She was a fallen away Catholic coming back to her faith um, but we were both um uh, very new on the heels of our own adult conversions when we when we got engaged and got married um and again we we came to marriage just with so many graces and blessings from from the stories you know, the inspirations of, of our parents and the people around us who showed us the faith. And so when we come to Christmas, we really come like kids to the Christmas tree in terms of this is the Catholic faith laid out in front of us. Um, and so the, these are the traditions. This is kind of the the, the rich treasury to pick through and, and kind of figure out, you know, what Christmas looks like in our house. So, I mean, a, a few kind of background things. Um, we really... I guess getting down to the practicals now, like we, we really love Advent in our family, you know, uh, Teresa, my wife, Teresa and I, um, we really do use that time with our kids uh, to focus on the preparation. Um, and one thing, you know, one kind of ambient thing I remember from Christmas in our family as a kid, for, for whatever reason, however it happened, you know, the, like the, the images and sights and sounds that I associate with Christmas is a lot of kind of the darkness of Advent, you know, the O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Sort of ambiance of Advent, and I love. It's only then this year I've been singing "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel" all my life. It's only this year I really I began to realize and research more. My wife showing me more about you know the history of the O antiphons, the long tradition, you know, with those. But that that experience of Advent as being a time of a kind of a dark, almost mysterious anticipation of Christmas. And again, now now as Catholics. Digging more into those traditions, we see so much more of the of the framework, so much of the background of that, you know. But I think before I, and maybe you have experienced this too. Before I knew that intellectually, I experienced it, viscerally, in you know a uh, the kinds of songs we listened to. The I don't know. Did did you you guys had an Advent? But you said you kind of discovered more the twelve days of Christmas after becoming Catholic.
2: Yeah, we getting ready for christmas was advent mm-hmm. you know i don't think we had a deeper understanding and that was just my own,
5: mm-hmm.
2: my experience and, and i'm not sure i led my congregations very well mm-hmm. in what we did at advent
5: yeah
4: but, uh, but you know I, even I, I know even as a small child for me i quickly became disenchanted with the, the secular christmas you know the secular santa yeah. claus the you know the the, mater- the the material stuff of it and i was but i was thoroughly enchanted right from the start with you know the the dark mystique of Advent. You know of the of the journey in the cold to Bethlehem. You know of the shepherds a cold on the hill of this of this quiet anticipation in the dark. You know it's it's in uh, the Canticle of Zechariah every morning with Lodz, You know a light in the darkness. You know that that whole so all the the pieces of Advent all those things um, they all have all have their individual meanings. They all have the, their individual. A prayer and practice, but they also work to kind of bring about this whole experience, this whole liturgical experience of the anticipatory uh, aspect of, of Advent. Um, I can go on that, but that, that's an important you know, thing for our
2: family. Yeah, go ahead. I'm just going to just two things, then I want to make sure we have time. Yeah. Uh, two things. A part of describing my journey to church often involves verses I never saw, scripture that awakened me, and two things quickly that were really profound to me about the Christmas story that I didn't see before. The one is a very positive, the other is a mystery. The very positive is Our Lady's fiat. God choosing Mary to be the vessel. Think about all of salvation history, the history of uh, the power of grace coming to the world, and yet in that He gives her the freedom to choose. The mystery of that is, to me, still powerful to think about that. Um, The the mystery of, yes, God's going to get it done, but yet allowing Mary to have the total freedom. Uh, Yet he prepared her. The second thing is whatever happened to the faith of the shepherds. These shepherds were brought in to experience this wonderful event angels, the child, and then they went back praising God. What happened to it? And the reason I say that is, what happens with our faith after Christmas?
5: Mm-hmm. Kind
2: of like I said, and like, does it make a difference?
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Or do we just put it away in a box at Christmas until next year? And,
1: uh, you know, this, uh, the, um, both of you, your insights are, are, are wonderful and I think very helpful for us you know, most of the people here tonight, I think most of the people are, um, you know, are uh, were raised Catholic. And uh, so hearing your story um, is is very helpful to us. And something, John Mark, you said about the atmosphere of Advent is something that for me, in my mind, I started thinking, you know, this is in many ways we're talking about Catholic culture, um, that we're talking about the vehicle by which this Invitation to a relationship with Christ takes place. A, we live in an atmosphere. You know, we live in an atmosphere where we're breathing air or whatever. It's, you know, Sacramento recently, is, it's all smoke. <laughs> 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 we live in an atmosphere. And sadly today, I think for, for many Catholics, uh, that atmosphere has been taken away. We may still have the, the, the present inside the package, if you will. But the package is all gone. And the package is meant is is there for a reason. It's not the center. It's not what we want inside, and yet it's it's a way in which we're prepared for what's inside. And I just you know I had written down atmosphere. You you mentioned used the word ambiance, and I like your word better because the ambiance of Advent, and I and I think this is something we need to regain in our Catholic homes in our Catholic way of life during Advent, but also after Christmas is that ambiance in, in, of the liturgical cycle, the ambiance of, of, of life in which we're living, that it's there's, there's something deeper that we want to sink our teeth into and live out, and we're all hungry for that because we're made for it. We're made for that atmosphere, right? We're made mm-hmm. to live in this thing, but in some ways I think it's been either taken from us or we just lost it, you know? And I don't know um, for either of you coming into the church the way you have, some insights in how we might ensure that the ambiance is there during those liturgical seasons, the atmosphere is there that's going to lead us to that relationship with Christ. Um, what are some, some takeaways that we might be able to say, look, here are some things we can do to ensure that our homes reflect the season in which we're living?
2: I'm sure there's lots of things. I, I think humility is one of the most important virtues, um, and just ask my son, I'm, I'm definitely the most humble person that ever walked the face of the earth. Um, you know, humility, when I think about establishing an ambiance in the home or in the family, or part of the quality is humility for the leadership to have, you know, when I think about a pope or bishops or cardinals and priests, they're important but they have a difficult struggle, and that is, it's our Lord that said, no one comes to the Father but by me. And so those who are in leadership have to remember that it's him, not us. Him, not us. As parents pointing to Jesus, the humility that John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease. The humility of that is a lifelong journey. Mm-hmm. And I think by allowing that environment in the house, humility allows ability to say, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Humility allows someone to say, you know, help me learn. Humility allows, maybe I've done it wrong all these years. Is there a way for me to do it better? Humility allows, maybe the church has something to say that I haven't listened to. Humility is a great stepping stone
5: mm-hmm. to
2: allow that cultural ambience to grow again. Uh, I think that th- that's an important element of that.
4: You know, we, we talk about the the many wonderful Catholic both ends, you know, these, these kind of juncture points where many people, you know, pick the, the left or the right fork, but in Catholicism, we kind of hold them in tension and we live the mystery out. And so there's many of those that that, that come to a head in Christmas, and, you know, one of them is this, this tension between, you know, sort of the externals or the in- internals, you know, and when Catholicism has us hold those in tension and live out both, you know, neither, you know, throwing away one or the other. Sometimes it takes those and, and puts them in a proper order that lets them flower, you know? And so in relation to, to this, you know, if we do start at the right place, if we start with the internal, if we start with conversion to Christ first, you know, then we really are able then to to return uh, to the externals and embrace them for what they are. And that. It, Christmas really faces us with one of the mysteries of God, which is we have his, his transcendence, you know, another both and his transcendence, but his wonderful imminence, his, his choice to be so particular, you know, to pick almost seemingly insignificant things to be his channels for grace. And the Christmas story is just, you know, chock full of these little odd details that God chose to use, you know, a stable and animals and shepherds and a hill and a star you know that in the grand scheme of things are insignificant, but given eternal significance through God's choice, you know to work through them. Um, I had something else I was going to say that you made me think of, but I can't think of it now. Uh, it was about how humble I was. That's right. I was going to go more on about how humble. You were. <laughs>
1: yeah, you got. I, you're in competition with me, by the way, Mark. <laughs> you know, but uh, John, Mark, you know, you're saying about this about the the shepherds, and then and you mentioned that earlier, Mark. It's very beautiful. And, uh, you know, in many ways we journey, we journey with the shepherds now. Um, and I love that, that let us go over and see, mm-hmm. let us go over the hill and see. And of course yeah. they're they literally, for those that have not been to the Holy land, it, you know, uh, uh, Bet-Sahor, which is where the, the shepherd's field is, Boaz's field, literally over the hill from Bethlehem. Like, so there, let's go. Let's go over that hill there and, and see what this thing's all about. And that's really the call to all of us uh, to come over and see. But, of course, it's not just a, a, a journey, a bodily journey over the hill, but a spiritual journey. And, and Marcus, I really thank you for your insight there about, about humility, about forgiveness. These days leading up now that we have are a gift from God. A few days left. Hmm. The question is how are we going to spend those days? And there's this secular atmosphere that's drawing us in, and then there's a the, there's the invitation to another atmosphere or ambiance or way, a journey, and that uh, and and we're going to have to make a choice of which how we're going to live these days ahead of us, and how we live it will have everything to do with what what happens on that day when Christ is born, and uh, and how that affects us, how that impacts us, whether He truly is born here within me or whether it's remains as it may be in years past at a distance
4: a a recommendation so when father hezekiah was down in Nashport, ohio recently to record his episode of the journey home program he left us with a fine gift which was a cd from the institute uh by uh reverend scalia father scalia yeah i believe on on leisure the basis of culture you know so on on peeper's book on that and we had a great time uh Ken Hensley, who's in the, in the chat box, he and I and our colleague Seth Payne listened to that and discussed it on the way down. And that is, uh, as a recommendation here, I'd say get that talk and listen to it. Because you're know, talking about humility, I think from the world's perspective, there seems to be a contradiction between humility and ritual. This is something that Peter Kraft talks about in a number of his talks, that from, from the modern person's perspective, they would see the priest up there doing, you know, the right hand movements and taking liturgy very seriously and all the things. And they'd, they'd look at that and say, you know, he takes himself so seriously. You know, he's making a big fuss about it. You know, I, I'm a humble person. I wouldn't make such a big fuss about, about such a thing. And as Kreft points out, it, that, that, it's the total opposite. We, we do those things out of humble obedience. You know, when a man gets down on one knee and pulls out a ring and says the words, he does that as an act of obedience and humility and honor uh, by doing it in the form that that person recognizes, you know, uh, that we, we, we follow these forms because this is how uh, in our tradition, in our culture, this is how we show this respect. This is how we worship. This is what we do with our hands. This is how, what the clothes that we wear to show God respect. And we've been working on that with my son, like, you know, the, the prayer, uh, uh, prayer and worship on Sunday morning begins with getting dressed in the morning. I'm not always very good at really making that a super huge priority. You know, but doing those things, they're, they're, they're not in contradiction to a humility. They come out of a humility. If we start with that uh, conversion of humility, that's when we can really go back to the, the forms and the formulas and the rituals and the words and see, you know, in doing this in choosing to enter into those, that is an act of obedience to Almighty God in His church.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I And, of course, well, being coming from the Byzantine tradition, I mean, we're chock full of all this stuff that nobody knows what we're doing because it's, they've been doing it since the second century, okay? <laughs> um, and uh, and so, um, but, but yeah, it starts with that humility to receive and then seek to understand and then allow that understanding to inform what we're doing against. So there's this kind of this back and forth relationship between between these things and I just encourage our participants there's so many things that we do during Christmas that are thoroughly Catholic and you may be saying you know wait a minute I don't know why well that's not an excuse to stop doing them it's a gift that we have we've been given but now go and learn so that you can start to dive more deeply in.
5: Marcus you were sharing some pictures with us earlier today and there was a couple from um, like a a living nativity at a farm a little bit about that yeah
2: when when we moved out to the country and and we right now have we have a farm i tried to see if any of my boys were interested in farming i had no farming background but we inherited this land long story but every christmas we invite a lot of families to come out and uh they would gather in the barn One of the pictures you might see there has got our Jersey cow that we milked for a great, we milked for a total of 10 years. And in the picture on the left, uh, you can see my son John Mark uh, reading the Christmas story to the gathered almost all homeschooling families. And there to his left in the pink shepherd's cowl is my middle son Peter, who is now a third year. theology student at St. Mynard studying for the priesthood for the Diocese of Toledo. And so, you know, I really do believe that these experiences of sharing this and even calling them into positions of leadership while they were young has opened the doors for my sons, both of them and my younger son, Richard, who's uh, Knights of Columbus and doing a variety of things. It opens the door for God to, to call them into ways of leadership.
5: Well, Marcus, and, and, you, were, you were talking about how uh, this picture right here is a picture of, of your barn from outside. And
1: uh, it might be hard for the viewers to see, but this is a lit up angel on the outside. Someone yeah. was writing
5: in, uh, Etta, and was wondering um, w- what to do for decorations and kind of like what time should we be putting them up,
2: taking them down, when's too early, when's too late. So oh, kind of boy. I love this question. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, that's part of the struggle for converts, especially, if you will, a, a convert clergyman who was very actively trying to educate his Protestant congregation on, on how we celebrated Christmas as Protestants to become Catholic. Uh, there were things I didn't know what to do yet. I had, And I'm asking Catholics, and the Catholics didn't know what to do. I mean, okay, as a Catholic... Should I have helped my son believe in Santa when he grew up? Is that a Catholic thing or not? I don't know. You know, getting an opinion on that, when to put up a tree, uh, that angel that was on the barn, it was a life size angel that I put lights on and put him. You know, when do you put things up? It seems to me, on the one hand, the church gives great leeway there, but yet we're challenged to understand what Advent means, when it is appropriate. Uh, to sing Christmas carols. Uh, I, I think, Father, you can correct me here, the church doesn't give strong guidelines when we can or cannot, but gives suggestions because the suggestions are meaningful for us. That's exactly it. Yeah.
1: You know, we always want, we, I'm sorry, John Mark, I want you to say something, but we always want the church to come in, where's the law? Give us the law of what I have to do and I have to do. And there's so much more to, 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 to Christianity, to Catholicism than that. I, I, I'm constantly harping on this, but a relationship. The church shows us a way, and it's an invitation to that way. Go, go ahead.
2: I was going to say maybe part of it is don't just do it because you've always done it. Do it for a reason. Learn the reason we have a tree. And when you learn the reason, then as a family, you decide, well, what, what's the appropriate time to put up a tree now that we understand what it's here for? What is it symbolizing? And, uh, you know, as opposed to just doing it because everybody does it. Mm-hmm. I, I, a real practical
4: suggestion. This is one that my wife and I have talked about a lot. You know, it's, all of modern life is a little bewildering in, its, in how overwhelming it is, you know, how much it throws at us. One of the great gifts that the church gives us is the liturgical year you know, in the normal liturgical schedule and structure, you know, the the liturgy of the whole year, the liturgy of the month, liturgy of the week in terms of daily masses and a Sunday, really celebrating a Sunday. And then even within the day, you know, um, whether or not you're praying specifically the liturgy of the hours, which is a great practice, still, you are the morning and the noon and a night prayer, you know, start with the, the church's liturgical structure and begin to learn that, you know, celebrate the feasts and the fasts let those put a little bit of general order in your life first and then on that scaffolding within, within those guidelines, then, you know, practice your, 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 your liberty and the spirit a little bit to, to really build traditions with your family. Robert Clancy, he asks here in the question box, John Mark you spoke affectionately about virtue during your ICC webinar conference session last week. Uh, what do you recommend to learn more about the virtues and how to practice and live them? Uh, Robert's awesome because you give me an excuse to talk about virtues, but I think, but I, I'm, I'm pointing out that question because I think it, 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 uh, it gets into this as well. When you, you start with, you kind of start with revelation you, or you start with, you know, what the church gives you in terms of a structure, but then particularly the practice of the moral virtues helps, helps you, us to then use our liberty within that structure to really, uh, begin to can dive deeper. So, um, in terms of Robert's specific question, I would highly recommend Joseph Pieper's little paperback book on the cardinal virtues. It, I think, is an easy read. That doesn't always translate to other people, just because of the kinds of things I like to read. But it seemed like a pretty easy read. But rediscover the the cardinal virtues, and so with with prudence is we have prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. And as you learn about uh, about the, those cardinal virtues and the, and the four of them working together, it starts with prudence, which is our practicing of, of being intentional, doing things for a purpose, not just doing things because we're reacting or because we've always done them, but doing things purposefully and making that a habit that we practice more and more. And then growing out of prudence, then we, the, the next virtue is, is justice. We, we do to others what is owed them. So that starting with God, and then with our family and our community, you know, so prudence, this living intentionally, moves into recognizing our real relationships to the people around us and even to our Creator. And then going from that too, the the interplay between courage on the one hand, or fortitude and temperance. We recognize when I when I want to do something, when I'm doing something, do I have an, a very strong desire for this thing? Then is that something I need to temper? Or if I have an aversion to something, maybe this is something I need to get over the hump and do it. And I take that question because I think studying the cardinal virtues can be a really powerful thing in terms of examining our practices, examining our traditions, examining why we do things and purifying those so that we maybe take on things that we've always avoided before because they weren't our cup of tea, you know, or that, you know, we didn't pick up practices or challenges or fasts or feasts because we didn't have the courage, the fortitude to do those. Or maybe there are certain aspects of things that we need to need to pull back because our, our desire is what's driving us. The, the point of the cardinal virtues is they, they help us to understand ourselves better and to clarify our own motives so that we really can kind of rediscover those pieces in our lives uh, for the right reasons and, and to live them intentionally.
2: Thank you. Thank you, so John. I taught him really I well. <laughs> I'm sure you're but um, it took he and Teresa about three years to figure out that just because I had taught him as a kid that the shepherds washed their socks by night, that they didn't have to do that. It's a sacred and ancient tradition. <laughs> Once a year, whether they need it or not.
1: So you know, I wanted to come back to this question. There's a, um, as as Marcus, you were saying like about discovering the the meaning behind what we're doing is so important. Obviously. The use of lights during Christmas. This goes back. This is an Old Testament thing where you know obviously uh, God is the source of light it and beca- it becomes biblically an image of Him. And in the New Testament, of course, Christ is the light of the world and so forth. So this this using of lights during Christmas is it points just to that. We light up our homes to tell people what's mm-hmm. going on. And very interesting um, this question about when to put up, you know, our, our things and take them down. I I wholeheartedly endorse everything you guys just said and especially about living the liturgical cycle. Mm-hmm. The liturgical cycle is going to be your key that's going to unlock the door. If you live the liturgical cycle, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden things and meanings are going to open up to you. Right. Okay, And this is a great example of that. You, well, most people are busy throwing out their trees the day, before, the day after Christmas. You see that, right? You see the Christmas tree on the sidewalk the day after. Two days. When you see that, you make the sign of the cross because you got somebody there that just completely missed out on the whole business. Okay? They were like, it's like shacking up before marriage or something like that. I'm sorry to be so blunt. But, you know, they, they tried to celebrate all that stuff beforehand. When the feast came, they didn't know what to celebrate. So they just threw the stuff out the door. For Christians, the celebration begins – on Christmas this is why I always tell you you better go to midnight mass now look you're not going to go to midnight I don't care how old you are you go get yourself an uber or a taxi and you get down there to midnight mass I don't care how young you are you got little kids you bring them that's where they're going to learn about going all the way for Jesus you got to be there okay to get there from an ass but if you count from Christmas day to the end of the christmas season now what is the end of the christmas season technically the very far end of it Do you remember the presentation of the lord in the temple february 2nd 40 days after christmas 40 days now you go now marcus you could do a better job with this than i can but look if you go back to the old testament and, and even the new testament right all the 40s then right. noah's flood right the, the rain 40 days The, uh, what Moses is on the mountain, right? On Sinai for 40 days, I believe. Okay. The spies spy out the promised land 40 days. Okay. Jesus, I got my little boy over here and he's whispering the biblical answers to me. (laughs) Um, Jesus fasts, of course, for 40 days. And at the end of all of these forties is theophany is, is God showing himself, revealing himself to us. And this is a connection. The historical event of the baby being born and the, the, the revelation of who this child is in the arms of Simeon, the just. My eyes have seen thy salvation. Hmm. Now we know the truth of what happened on December 25th. Do you see? So this is why Christmas has always been tied to the baptism of the Lord, epiphany, the visitation uh, of the kings, uh, uh, and, and ultimately the presentation. So I just want to encourage you in general, do what John, John Mark is talking about. The atmosphere, the, uh, what was the word you used? Uh, the ambiance oh, of Advent as a preparation. And
4: right. embrace both ends of it too. You brought up the candles, yeah. but again, people focus all on the end and they don't get the, the other side of it. That, that gives you the contrast. You know, we, we can't really be re enchanted with, you know, the light coming at Christmas unless we embrace a little bit of the dark of Advent. That's right. We can't, we can't embrace the glorious sounds you know of, of the midnight mass if we don't embrace a little bit of silence in Advent and so again embracing the, the
2: liturgical structure and rhythm of the church I don't know father in your Eastern Church whether you do this but in in the Latin we we don't have the glorious right mm-hmm. for advent it's mm-hmm. taken away from us mm-hmm. that's right taken away what we take for granted do we listen to the beauty of the glorious mm-hmm. and yeah, it's taken fun. away yeah and the
4: the hymns, if you know, if they're doing a, if they're being intentional with the hymns, again, you go maybe from kind of normal, cheerful hymns to O oh, Come, O oh, Come, Emmanuel, yep. you know, these dark, mysterious hymns. And again, the, the liturgical rhythm of the church gives us feasts and fasts. You can't appreciate feasts if every day is a feast. I think it's Jim Gathkin, one of our, our American comedians, who points that out. Like, we, we're having a feast. We have a feast every day. We eat too much every day, you know. Unless yeah. you have the fasts, you can't appreciate the feasts. And so, you know, the church has us go through the, season, the the highs and the lows in our season so that we can appreciate both. You know,
1: this old priest told me one time, well, you probably wouldn't appreciate me calling him old, but he is old. <laughs> He's, we, where there is no expectation, there will be no fulfillment. You know, so here's the thing, guys, get yourselves hungry. Like literally, get yourselves hungry right now. Hunger for the Gloria, hunger for Christ hunger for Christmas, hunger for what's coming in. We have a few days left. Get yourself hungry. I'll tell you, the physical hunger helps. It's the vehicle by which uh, we, we can kind of graduate to that spiritual hunger. Go to confession. Get yourselves ready like you have never gotten yourselves ready. And then when the Gloria comes, like Marcus is saying, I want you to remember this moment. Because the angels are going to be singing to your right, to your left, they're going to be around you. You're going to be standing in the glory pit of God. And, and, and then you can truly begin to celebrate in a way that the world has no idea. And you can, you, can, you can chuckle and you can pray for them when you see the Christmas trees thrown out. And you know that you just began mm-hmm. what is the most beautiful of seasons of Christ's
2: presence in our life. Now, if I could just say one thing, those people that throwing the Christmas trees out a lot of people out there that, on the one hand, by grace, at least they're celebrating Christmas. At least they're turning to Christ. That's grace. We want to celebrate that. On the other hand, I want us maybe to ask ourselves, have we as Catholics, in our impure, insufficient modeling of our faith— alienated any from the faith? Are there people out there throwing the Christmas trees because they saw Catholics who were poor models of Jesus Christ? Lord help us, Maya copa.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Maybe this Christmas, not only can we give from God's love, but we really model that to our family members that are so close to the Catholic faith, except for a miracle of grace, they would never come closer. Or, what can we do to help them yearn for the fullness of the faith during this time of year.
1: I can't think of a better conclusion to our program tonight. We are so blessed to have you with us. And and on behalf of the whole of the Institute of Catholic Culture, everyone joining here. I want to say thank you to both of you uh, for the Coming Home Network, for the work you have done to not only share the gift of our Catholic faith with those that maybe are outside and looking for it, hungry for it, but also to share the Catholic faith with us and to reignite a fire of faith within the church itself. Uh, we're just so grateful for you, and I can assure you of Thank my you. prayers and the prayers of, of of everyone here
2: tonight. Thank you, Father. Thank you all for for joining us tonight, and Merry Christmas. You know, have first <laughs> Great Advent. Celebrate beautiful, uh, joyous Advent, a meaningful Advent, but then Merry Christmas. Amen. All right. Thank you, Father.
1: Thank you all. May God bless all of you guys. And uh, since we won't be seeing each other again, this is kind of the culmination of our time together. A Merry Christmas to you all. Why don't we conclude in prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, you who promised that when two or three are gathered in your name, you would be here among us. We ask you to send down your Holy Spirit and grant what we ask so long as it is according to your will and good for our salvation. For you are blessed both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. May God bless you all.
0: We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture.